Welcome to the Dover Download Podcast, your weekly look at what's going on in Dover, what's going in in Dover, and all things Dover-related. My name is Chris Parker, and I'm the Deputy City Manager here in Dover, and I'm going to walk you through all of that, plus more. This episode, we are continuing looking at a day in the life of a staff person or a uh, service area here at the city of Dover. We're going to review what it's like to be a police officer. Joining us today is Chief Bill Bro and Officer Dennis Elbert. How are you both? Good, Chris. Thanks for having me back. Thank you for having me. Dennis, if you want to uh, tell the listener a little bit about yourself, a little bit about what makes it uh, unique for you to be here on the conversation today. Yeah, so um, I have a kind of a weird background, so I don't have any, you know, family history of law enforcement. I don't have any military background, but I originally studied to become a physical therapist, so I went to Boston University, and I got my doctorate degree to practice physical therapy. I practiced uh, orthopedics, like outpatient orthopedics, for four years down in Boston. Uh, then I actually tried doing uh, two years of home health. That I did in Vermont. Uh, my wife and I wanted to do something for a change. So we actually moved to Vermont for a couple of years. So basically did about six years of PT. Um, unfortunately, I didn't love the job. Um, I don't think it was really right for me. All the while I was, you know, I held law enforcement in kind of a high regard. Um, I Something that always interested me in the back of my mind. So I made the switch to try law enforcement. So I researched some police departments, I know Dover PD had a high reputation, so, and we also have friends that live in this area. So we actually moved from Vermont to this area and uh, I applied here in 2019, got the job. And so now I'm still here. What's it like starting a position like that during COVID? It was- uh, It's on the cusp of it, depending on when in 2019. Yeah, it's it's interesting. So. I began the application process in like the late winter of 2019. So that was, I would say, just just a year before COVID really struck. It really wasn't on my radar at the time. And then by the time I was a solo patrol officer, essentially a year after that, you know, the city went on shutdown, really. Everything did. Uh, It was very strange because I was now about to go on the road by myself and do my thing. But um, you know, we weren't really getting a lot of calls for service. A lot of things we were handling by telephone because we weren't going to go make contact with people. We weren't doing a ton of motor vehicle enforcement unless it was something really egregious. So it was definitely very, very strange. But then several months later, we kind of resumed a little bit of normalcy from a law enforcement standpoint. So, uh, Chief, one of the things that Dennis just said was that he was solo in the car. And I think that's one of those uh, things that you see on TV, everyone's partnered up, and right. but that's not reality, correct? Right. No. So for for us, it, you know, we train our people, and we obviously train them in the field. So they're doubled up with somebody after they graduate the police academy, which in New Hampshire is sixteen weeks. They go through either about fourteen weeks of field training. Some take a little longer. Some are able to complete it a little sooner. But on average, about fourteen to fifteen weeks of field training. And they're partnered up with a, a, a field training officer, a seasoned veteran like Dennis is now. A field training officer, but after after they complete field training, no, they're assigned a, a shift. They're assigned a beat, uh, and they're out there by themselves. So there's a lot of discretion and a lot of uh, independence needed 
uh, in law enforcement. And I think that's why trying to find good quality people of all different backgrounds, uh, Dennis has a very, very unique background, but of all different backgrounds is, is very important to us. And it's really about, is this person capable of working independently? We have supervision, they have people they can contact f for guidance, but really they're out there making a lot of decisions by themselves. Uh, and some of our offices are pretty young without a, without a lot of life experience. Dennis is uh, unique, again, in that perspective that he came to the job with a lot of life experience. But some of our offices are 22, 23 years old, fresh out of college. So it's a learning curve for sure. I think I've told you this before. Uh, I did a, a ride along probably, actually, it might have been about 10 years ago now. It was 2014, 15, so seven, eight years ago. And uh, we're doing the ride along and... The thing that was most eye-opening to me was the bulk of the work was responding to maybe not domestic, but it was not chasing down high-speed. Uh, you know, it was it was uh, it certainly was not murder investigation. That and the disturbance call or calls. But then the second part that jumped out to me was we're listening to the radio and uh, "Welcome to the Jungle" by Guns N' Roses came on, and I offhandedly said, "Oh, this is the first CD I bought," and the officer said. Uh, when did it come out? And I said, 87. And he said, oh, I wasn't born yet. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, which felt really old. But uh, so the uh, the thing you just tapped on, though, about the training and the, the variety of backgrounds, I know you had said previously you've been with, with Dover for 25 years. Are, are you similar to the model that Dennis was saying he's not of a military or paramilitary or... Um, yeah, police background. Yes, I am. Uh, I'm more. I'm more the traditional candidate, if you will. So I grew up in Massachusetts and went to college for criminal justice. I had at the time uh, one older brother who was, was in law enforcement, and he really, it, it was clear to me he really loved his job. And I did a, a couple ride-alongs. I think I was still in high school with him, and, and thought this is what I want to do. This this seems like something I would enjoy. Uh, so I went to college for criminal justice and started in college, started working as a part-time police officer, uh, first small town in Massachusetts, and then was fortunate enough to, when I graduated to come up here and get a job with Dover PD. But now, I'm, I, in that, now I have another older brother who I think saw how much I also enjoyed it. And he, he was more of the dentist um, kind of path. He, he changed careers. Uh, he was doing some restaurant management stuff um, in and he shifted careers probably in his mid-30s. Uh, he's still on the job down in Massachusetts. So, uh, no, I have, I have more of the traditional um, pathway, if you will. And, but we, we see people, you know, I'd say probably three-quarters of our people have that more traditional path. But we, we have seen people who have been very successful over the years. And I think there's a lot, there's a lot to be said for somebody who, one, really, I guess, has the guts, for lack of a better term, to make that career change that, that takes some guts to do. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, once you become established and financially s stable and, you know, law enforcement doesn't pay great. Um, I'm, I'm sure it doesn't pay anywhere near being, uh, having a doctor degree and so what Dennis was doing, but it also, I think shows the level of commitment that these people are making. So we have, we've had people with all kinds of business and finance backgrounds, uh, who have been very, very successful. They bring a different, a whole different, uh, attitude and view towards, towards police work, which I think is important. Well, and it's interesting and Dennis, maybe this this gets to why you made the shift of there's financial security and then there's mental and the intangible side of the community involvement and the commitment to give and get from your job, which not every financially secure position available gives you. That's right. Definitely uh, 
a way to give back to the community. I mean, it's different than healthcare. Obviously, you're not working directly with the victim of a crime. Let's say you're sort of helping the victim by holding someone else accountable for what they did, uh, which I find uh, very interesting about this job. So it, it's challenging. It's certainly very rewarding if you are able to investigate a crime and basically, you know, investigate it to completion and be able to hold someone accountable for victimizing someone in that crime. It's extremely rewarding to then be able to call that person back and say, hey, uh, that person has a court date coming up and, uh, you know, here's what to expect for your next steps. Speaking of expectations, what did you expect your day was going to be like when you were investigating this as an option for your career? That's a great question. Uh, to be honest with you, as much as I did research in this field, um, I tried to make as an informed, as much as informed position as I could. I still had no idea, really. It, it, it was wild. When I first started this job, I couldn't believe how complicated it was from so many different realms because you're dealing with a population of people that are vastly different you know, you could be going, you know, to the northern part of town where it's a little more rural and you have someone trespassing on your land because they're hunting and they never got permission to hunt. And then you're dealing with someone downtown who's intoxicated and causing a disturbance. <laughs> so it's, it's a very wide variety of, of clientele that we're dealing with, which makes the job very complicated. You're also, you know, you need to know what to say, what to do, sometimes in a in a split moment. So you need to be able to make decisions fast and hopefully the right ones. Uh, so there's a lot that goes into that. And then you also have to understand what you're dealing with. You know, if you're dealing with more of a civil issue where you might not have as much enforcement action versus an actual crime where you do have enforcement action, it's way more complicated. And there's a lot more that I realized the police department did behind the scenes that you might not read in like an article or on a Facebook post or something like that. So, Are you experienced in all, all shifts or have you primarily been on one shift? We, we do a variety of shifts. I currently I'm on day shift. I've done second shift. I've done night shift. And yeah, you have a little bit of a difference in, in the types of calls that you'll get. So, but yeah, I've experienced all of it. Is there something that jumps out to you about the night shift that, that the day shift doesn't ever experience? Not ever, not ever. Day shift will still get some of it. I guess one type of call that I might not get on day shift is like a bar fight. So I guess typically night shift will handle more disturbance calls involving someone who's intoxicated. Gotcha. Uh, but yeah, on day shift, it's a little less of that, but you can still get it. Chief, do you miss doing the various shifts? I mean, you've essentially been on day shift for a while now in an administrative been, uh, role. <laughs> um, yes and no. <laughs> I, I miss I miss the direct contact with with people on calls, uh, you know, that, that our patrol officers get to go to, but working shift work, you know, that takes its toll on your body. That's, it's, it's certainly not for everybody. I did it for several years as both a patrol officer and a supervisor and it, it's tough. It, it definitely, it definitely grinds on you a little bit. Um, we, we try to do things now that, you know, when I was a, a young patrol officer, we didn't do, we rotate shifts. Uh, we let our officers bid shifts by seniority. And there's a lot of caveats in there where they, you know, they're, they can't, continually bid the same shift. And that's really designed to, to help our people experience all three different shifts. So our young folks aren't just stuck on a shift they may not want to be on. But it, it is, you know, and then as you, you know, as you get a little older and start having a family, uh, it's tough. It's tough to coach your, your kids' baseball teams and stuff like that, we, you know. So, you know, our offices, 
being a police officer is a commitment. And, and when I sit down with a, a potential employee, I tell them that, you know, it's it's not just about, it's not what you see on TV. And I'm probably going to date myself here, but it's not Chips or uh, NYPD Blue or Barney Miller or whatever the today's drama is. And now it's Lauren and <laughs> so you're going from like the early 70s <laughs> to the mid to late 90s. Yeah. That's a good like swing there, buddy. Mm. Right. <laughs> So, but now, now we deal with you know, Hill Street Blues. Like, oh, wow, that was I forgot about that one. That was a great show. But they're just TV shows. I mean, that's the real. They're not the reality of the job. I think Dennis did a really good job articulating what it's a very complicated job. It takes a lot. It takes several years before our offices are truly comfortable and experienced enough to, to feel comfortable. You know, so it's in, it's imperative that the, the police department really puts a focus on supervision. You know, we really go through a lot of process and a lot of steps to identify solid supervisors, first-line supervisors, which is for us as patrol sergeants mm-hmm. who are out in the field with our young officers providing guidance. But when we hire somebody, I, I really want to impress upon them the level of commitment, that this is not just a job. It's, not, it's just not a Monday through Friday, 40-hour-a-week job. It's really impacts your life. It's a lifestyle. You really need to be committed to doing this. So I'm always impressed with the 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 level of commitment that we see from our officers. We did our 60th Christmas basket deliveries. Dover Police Charities delivers Christmas baskets, uh, which are baskets full of food, a turkey, to those in need in our community. Uh, it's been going for over 60 years. Um, but, you know, that's completely done by employees, volunteer employees of all different ranks. You know, my, I was there, the captains were there, but all the way down to some of our, our brand new police officers. In fact, one of the officers, they were still in field training. And it just shows this is all off-duty time, but they're coming in on a snowy Saturday when they don't have to be. Some of them had worked the midnight shift before to give back to the, the community. So it's that, that level of commitment that goes far beyond just the 40 hours that they work here in the city. But yeah, no, I, I do miss handling calls. I do miss uh, conducting criminal investigations. I spent a lot of my career uh, in our investigations, our detectives, mm-hmm. uh, both as a detective and as a detective supervisor. I was fortunate enough to work some pretty good cases, some homicide cases. Uh, unfortunately, they happened, but I was I was lucky enough to be able to work them and, and solve some, um, which I agree with Dennis. There's nothing more rewarding than holding people accountable for their actions. You know, when I meet with a new employee, we talk about, they all say the same thing. Really, I want to get in this job to help people. What does that truly mean? For me, it's always been, it might not be helping people like uh, an EMT or a firefighter does, but for me, it's helping people you know, making sure that the average person go about their lives without being the victim of a crime, that they can park their car in the driveway and expect it to be there when they wake up in the morning. That's kind of how I see the role of law enforcement and how we help people. Uh, if we're doing our job, we're in the background, you never think of us. We keep crime low and we keep quality of life high. Is there a, this could be an industry average, because I know you're aware and, and track a lot of that, but also a Bill Bro, I've seen this uh, experiential average, a certain point where an officer is either going to move up, meaning that there's a detective role opening up or something else, or they're going to move out because there's no place for them to go and they really, they're not cut out for being a patrol officer. Is there a certain point where they have to make a decision or is it more fluid? It's a little bit more fluid. I can tell you anecdotally that I think, you know, our officers, usually around their fifth year on, um, They've demonstrated that this is a job that they can continue to expand and learn and that, you know, they're they're suitable for additional assignments, um, whether that's a detective assignment, a school resource officer. Now, some are able to do it sooner than that and, and are really 
you know, on the ball and have proven that they're worth and can do that. Others takes a little longer. Again, that's anecdotal. There's there are plenty of officers who really like being a patrol officer, and, and we need seasoned, experienced officers on the road too. So I do things as chief. We rotate our specialized assignments. Um, so our detectives, for instance, you know, it's a three to five year assignment. Now a lot of those uh, don't get pulled back to the road. They actually promote out. Um, so when you take a specialized assignment, it gives you a whole new level of experiences and a whole different view and, and ability to, to understand things and usually helps you do better on a promotional exam. And we generally, those are the same people that end up getting promoted. Uh, they'll go back to patrol, but, but generally as a supervisor. One of the things that's always struck me, particularly about the police department, and I'm, I'm going to guess that the same is from the fire department, but I've had a better observational level with the police is that the end goal is always to promote from within when possible. So you're training and giving the experience to your own homegrown. It's like a farm team development right. Right. Uh, in sports that you, know, you look at someone like Dennis and you say, at, in, a, in a certain period of time, he could be the chief and here's what experience he would need. And we're going to help because while we pay what we pay, the opportunities that we give might help outweigh, go back to being an orthopedic uh, doctor. Right, exactly. I like to think of it as building blocks, right? There's a lot of steps along the way, but that training continues to advance. It continues to become, you know, into more and more of those complicated areas. And some people are able to do that. Some people have a, a limit. But, you know, I think Dennis is a perfect example of somebody who has a very, very bright future. He's, he's extremely, I mean, he has a PhD, so he... He's smart, right? We all know that. But he also gets it. He has great common sense. Um, he's able to to manage the job and understand the the what's required of him. Uh, but but more importantly, he, he knows how to treat people. Right? I mean, so education and training—that's all one part of it. But being compassionate, being empathetic, um, treating people with dignity and respect—those um, aren't things that we necessarily teach. Um, that's either you you have that or you don't. Um, being able to talk to people. Well, and it's funny listening to, to Dennis here, and for the listener, I, I met him 10 minutes before we went on the air or the, started recording. One of the things that strikes me that Dennis has exuded that I've seen you and your other officers have is there's no hothead here. It is a calm, uh, even-keeled demeanor, which to Dennis's point about needing to make decisions in the field, you don't want the hothead that overreacts, that you know, that's a TV trope, right? That, right. That you have that. Right. But the reality is... You need someone that's methodical and that thinks about consequences. And, you know, Dennis, I'm sure you've had an experience where you could have gunned it down the road to help respond to a scene or uh, go after a, a uh, suspect, as it were. But instead you think, okay, if I did that, this could happen. So I'm going to do this instead. It must be something you, you deal with all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, basically, to everyone's point, I mean, it's all about being level-headed. Uh, so if I'm investigating someone, if I'm talking to someone on the phone, if I'm contacting someone out in the public, if they say something to me that's a little off-putting, I mean, I'm not going to take it personally. It's There's no need to do that. So I never need to, like, elevate myself to a point where I'm, you know, becoming argumentative or, you know, throwing profanities at this person because it's they're not mad at me personally. So I, I never felt like I needed to escalate my my own my own self. So um, and keeping a level head, honestly, has only helped me further myself because if I'm ever talking to someone and if I have to put someone in handcuffs because they're under arrest, I just treat them the same way I treat anyone else because honestly, it helps, it helps with compliance. 
you know, if I treat someone with respect, compassion, being empathetic, even though that they're going in handcuffs because they did something they didn't supposed to, you know, their response is, all right, well, this officer is treating you with respect and um, I'm not going to fight back or be be a problem. So that's only helped me in my career, honestly. How do you explain to people, uh, whether it's someone you meet at a party or you meet casually when they say, what do you do? What do you, how do you explain that? What do you, what do you say? What's your elevator speech for your your career choice in my career, yeah. Um, start by saying I'm an officer. Um, then they usually ask, well, you know, something, some funny comment about, well, don't pull me over. You know, oh, you're going to catch me speeding around. But it's 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 interesting. Like I always tell people, God, this is something that I learned myself. Is the police department does so much behind the scenes that you have absolutely no idea. Like to say that I, all I do is you know sit around in a parking lot and then look for motor vehicle infractions to go enforce i mean that that's that just touches what i do it's a small percentage the majority of what i do is as i handle investigations even at the patrol level um, i'm constantly talking to people i'm talking to witnesses i'm talking to businesses uh, i'm talking to suspects i go to people's homes I, I interview people in person or by phone i'm trying to gather evidence video surveillance from places uh, there's just so much behind the scenes that 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 occurs and and when i and Apart from that, I'm also documenting a lot of things. So there's a lot of administrative work that goes into this job as well, which all of it I love. I truly do. But it's funny. It's, you know, everyone thinks that, you know, patrol officers, they just run around and stop cars and write tickets and, and eat donuts and sit in the parking lot. But like the reality is I, I sometimes have a hard time even keeping up with car stops because I'm busy doing other things and responding to calls for service, which we get plenty of during the day. Being real here and, and ignoring the fact that the chief is sitting across the table from you, is it true you have quotas and at the end of the month you got to stop so many people so you can get tickets? It's not necessarily a quota. It's, I would say it's more of like a, the expectation is that if you are not busy, that you need to show that you are also doing, that you're also being proactive. So you need to do something self-initiated. So if you are not busy, you're not handling tons of calls or writing reports if you have time then don't sit there on your phone you are then expected to go enforce traffic or do checkups on people if someone looks out of place go check up on them talk to them or maybe do a community contact like maybe stop by at a business or at a school and just say hello to some people that basically i think encourages officers to go and and do something so that they're not just you know waiting for the next call for service to come in so there's no reason for me not to speed the, the first 25 days of the month because it's not just the last five. Correct. Correct. You shouldn't speed at all. Right. But, if, <laughs> but to Dennis's point, you know, you know, I, I take my role of being a steward of, of the, our, our budget and the finances that, it, let's face it, it costs quite a bit of money to run the police department. So, you know, the, this, the taxpayer deserves police officers who are out there working. Um, so I tell our officers, I don't care what you do, but go out and do something. You know, you're being paid for a 10-hour shift. I expect you to work for 10 hours, just like any boss probably expects their employees to work. So to Dennis's point, some sh shifts are slower than others, and sometimes there's downtime. But, you know, we, we expect our officers out there looking for criminal activity, even if there isn't any cri criminal activity to find, just being out there, stopping cars, being present deters other people who might be thinking about doing it committing crimes. So there's a, there's a benefit all around, but it, it, reality is, you know, that's what the taxpayers are paying for. That's what I expect them to be getting. Well, it's interesting. I've said for a long time that in a lot of ways, government is a reactive environment. We're waiting for people to call and say, I need this service right. or help me do this. But what you have been uh, sort of evoking over the past 
five years, uh, at least as a chief, and, and yeah. I, I understand previously as a captain, is the idea that it's a proactive environment and that the sense that you can be giving people a heads up of why they might make the wrong choice and what that consequence would be. You can show by inspiring officers like Dennis to get out of the vehicle and to interact with folks that it's a proactive, you set the stage, set yourselves up for success as opposed to having to punish someone for being on the wrong side of that decision. Oh, absolutely. And and I really think, you know, a big part of any good police department is understanding what the community's expectations are, right? Understanding what we're seeing for crime trends and for even non-crime trends like mental health, but also the community expect our, expects our officers to be friendly, um, to really drill into those quality of life issues that may might not necessarily be crimes, but they expect a certain level of, of lifestyle and quality of life. And it's our role and our responsibility to make sure we do everything we can to maintain that. Shifting gears for a second, it, it strikes me as we're sitting here that we are at or coming up on five years that the, the station has been on Orchard Street. Right. Does it still feel like the new station? Uh, to me, it does, because I spent the majority of my career on the old station. Um, I think there was uh, officers, and Dennis is one of them, who have no idea what that old station was like. And that kind of drives me crazy, because when I hear them complain about something in the station, they have no idea how good they have it. <laughs> I was actually showing some of our other young people uh, some photos of the old station, and I think you know, they were just rolling their eyes at me like I'm the old guy. But but yeah, no, it, it is a, a beautiful place. We're very fortunate to have it. To me, it still feels like the new station. You know, I love the job. I love coming to work, but coming into a, a nice building that not just, you know, me personally, but our officers have everything they need right in one location. And it's really suitable for, for the job there. They have to go out and perform is is outstanding. And, you know, I'm, I'm still very thankful for to the city, the citizens for for you know, funding that and allowing that to happen. Dennis, as we wrap up, uh, we like to have the guests uh, talk about things that they like about the community, things that they think make the community unique. The chief, we didn't do with this with you last time. Uh, so I'm going to ask you to maybe each come up with one or two as opposed to each of you coming up with three so you can riff off each other and uh, we'll let the new guy go first. All right. Privilege of rank. One thing I, I think that really stands out to me is I, I just love the layout of the city. Uh, I love the fact that you have, it's a small city feel. You get to go downtown, you can have a bar scene, you can go to a restaurant, you know, you can go to Tokens and play arcade games, um, and then go to Garrison City for like good beer. But then if you go out a little bit, you get into a little bit of like suburbia, and you go a little more even outwards, and then you get even more of like a rural field. Um, so I, I, I love the fact that this city has all of that to offer. So for someone who's looking for a house, you can have anything like that. You can live downtown and have a city feel. You can go get like a nice suburban home with some land, a few acres if you wanted that as well. I just think that's really neat. Cool. Chief? I would echo what Dennis said. I, I really like two things. I really like um, the way you just put it is great, but I, I, I see the same thing when, when we're talking to young officers uh, or potential officers about how <clears throat> Dover is – Got just enough of the big city uh, feel, but also the big city issues. We're not drowning in crime. We're not drowning in in violence. Um, we have very little crime and very little violence. Um, but we're we also uh, we're we're able to get out and know people, right? We're able to make those connections. So, you know, it, I think Dennis said it great. It's a it, you get some of that big city, but you also have some of that very small town still. So, 
I think that's, it's unique. Not every place has that. Um, you know, I talk to police chiefs all over, all over the state and all over the country. And uh, I think we're very unique in that regard. Dennis, number two. Number two. Uh, I like the historic feel of the city. Uh, I like that we have a lot of brownstones and a lot of very, you know, old mill buildings that have been renovated to, you know, which are now just very expensive apartments across the city. But they're super nice. I think it's very cool. Um, I think it gives the city a really, um, like, very nice historic vibe. I think it's neat to walk around and see everything and that kind of thing. Cool. Chief, last but not least. I would say, specific to the city, I would say, um, you know, just our location, right? I mean, you can be in the mountains with, within an hour, hour and a half. You could be skiing. You could be at the beach. You could be in Boston. Uh, we're just, you know, and I think we're, as we see overgrowing, a lot of people are figuring that out. Yeah. Um, so maybe we should, we should keep that a secret. Um, but I think it, just the location, it really, no matter what you like to do, if you're a beach person, um, you can have that. If you're a, you know, a skier or a snowboarder, you can have that. And you, um, it's just a great spot. One thing that I'll, I'll throw on that, uh, not in either of your roles, but observationally of the police department is along that lines of, of making things unique. It strikes me that I hear colleagues and, and counterparts in other communities talk about how there's begrudging respect with other entities. So in your case, maybe police and fire begrudgingly respect each other here. I think you actually, you, you know, it, it's not begrudging you, you get along really well and there is no animosity from what I can see. The the fire department may be a different department, but your your partner is in a lot of responses and in a lot of proactive nature. Right. No, I think I, I agree with you one hundred percent. I at least throughout my career I've seen it, you know, as and Dennis can talk about it specifically on the you know, as a patrol officer on the road. But we're you know, as a patrol officer you're forced to, to interact with them, right? And you need them. Uh, you go to medical calls, there's nothing more stressful to me than going to a medical call and waiting for the ambulance and knowing that they're going to be there any second. Uh, and when they walk in, you, you thanking God that they're there. Um, it, it, car crashes, you know, all kinds of calls, medical calls that, that we assist them on. So we're, we're interacting with them a lot. And then, you know, through, through the ranks and through my career, I've seen it. Um, you know, we worked on some pretty big things like the, our response to COVID together. Um, so, you know, that, that respect and admiration has just continued to to evolve for me as I move through the career. And uh, they're they're truly we truly have a great working relationship with our fire department. Doesn't mean we don't like to bust their chops any chance we get, but uh, we do uh, we do have a great relationship with them. Anything you want to add, Dennis? Just to echo to that, I mean, I would agree. Uh, it's funny before I got into this field of work, you know, every movie that I've seen, there's always like jokes being made about how there's always this rift between the police department and the fire department and how they just constantly go at each other. But I have not seen that here. In fact, like every call for service that I go to where the fire department's involved, whether it be an accident or some sort of medical episode or whatever, uh, they're nothing but helpful. And I like, love seeing those guys. I think they're a great, great men and women that work for them. So very helpful. Well, I appreciate you both coming in today, recording this episode and, uh, appreciate the different perspectives you've brought today and i'm sure the listener will as well enjoy the rest of your day and and thanks again thank Thank you with almost 400 years of history dover's got a lot to tell up next mike gillis is going to walk us through what happened this week this week in 1999 france announced it would present the legion of honor 
France's highest national award to Damon Hall, a former Dover resident who was 105 years old when the announcement was made and living at the New Hampshire Veterans Home in Tilton. Just a week later, France's Consul General arrived at the New Hampshire Veterans Home to present Damon with a Legion of Honor. After a kiss on both of Hall's cheeks, the Consul General pinned the medal to Hall's lapel. It would be the first time someone in New Hampshire would receive the Legion of Honor, which was only given to surviving World War I veterans who served in France during the war. Before he lived in Dover, Hall grew up in the Moosehead Lake region of Maine, worked as a firefighter for the Boston and Maine Railroad, before he was drafted into World War I in 1917. Hall served in the war as a railroad engineer from October 1917 to May 1919, bringing supplies to the troops. Hall would recall that on November 11, 1918, he was on a supply train, headed to the front lines. Along the way, he met General John Pershing and his staff. Hall said when he saw Pershing, who was commander of the American Expeditionary Forces, he knew the war was coming to an end. According to Hall, Pershing said, It's all over, boys. The commandant of the Veterans Home at the time, Barry Conway, said Hall was likely one of the first doughboys to hear the war was over. Hall's recognition arrived just in time. Just a few months later, in May of that year, Hall, who was one of only 300 surviving American veterans who qualified for the medal, passed away at the New Hampshire Veterans Home. Thanks for listening to the Dover Download this week. If you like what you heard, subscribe through your favorite podcast aggregator. And if you have something you want to hear a topic on, let us know. Finally, this is just one of the many ways we share information about the city of Dover. You can subscribe to the Dover Downloads email newsletter every week or other newsletters that we have by going to the City of Dover homepage, www.dover.nh.gov. Have a great week.